Welcome to the Faith Essentials Podcast, Episode 2. My name is Scott Venable. I'm the lead pastor at Northwood Church. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, Michael Seaman, uh, from Toronto and now North Carolina, where he resides, and has his PhD. Very intelligent man, been a pastor, church planter, missiologist, and uh, we're honored to have you here today, Mike. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. And yeah, as you said, just moved to North Carolina after starting a church in downtown Toronto. And also we started a community development organization there called the New Common. And uh, yeah, both were such an adventure and uh, starting the new season, starting the new adventure here back in North Carolina with the family. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been married for 19 years, my wife, Missy, and two daughters, Emerson and Reagan, who are 12 and 13 years old. So entering the the preteen teen years so exciting stuff ahead that's great well this faith essentials podcast is a really the essential faith of christianity and uh we're working off the premise that we believe that there is a god and that we believe that uh in the the god of 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 the bible that we have in the christian faith um, and so we're working from that premise, although we do know that atheists, agnostics, and others who don't believe in God or maybe believe in other forms of, of a God, uh, whether the Muslim faith or uh, maybe uh, Judaism or other uh, traditional faiths, uh, maybe listening or tuning in uh, to this, uh, we are working off the premise of kind of the understanding that we have as as, as followers of of Jesus, of the Christian God and Christianity. Um, but we're exploring those faith tenets, even those that don't agree with us or believe that we, that we believe, that they might learn a little bit about the essentials of our faith. And then also for those who are in the Christian faith, that they might know actually what they believe and why they believe it and why it's important uh, that these uh, a lot of these things that we're talking about have been decided upon thousands of years ago and why that happened. And, and today uh, we're talking about who is Jesus? And uh, that's that's a great question. I mean, look at our current pop culture. You see in Super Bowl ads, even the latest All-Star game, you get the He Gets Us campaign. Uh, you know, Jesus is a very popular but also polarizing figure. Uh, and a lot of people want to claim and co-op Jesus into their movements or into their uh, causes. Um, but I think it's important to understand who is Jesus historically um, as a person, but also uh, theologically uh, understanding it from a uh, from a biblical perspective as well, who this Jesus is. And so, uh, first of all, when you hear the question, who is Jesus, taking off your pastor's lens, but being in the urban area of Toronto, even uh, where the majority of people don't believe in, in Jesus as God, when you hear that question and you get asked that question in Toronto, what was your like first initial thoughts and responses? Yeah, that's, <laughs> there's a, there's a big spectrum. Uh, you know, Toronto is a city of immigrants, so uh, there's yeah, there's a big spectrum. So the the one that stands out to me the most is uh, I was talking to someone about Jesus, and uh, they their literal words to me were, "I didn't know Jesus was a real person; mm. thought he was a cut or it was a cuss word." Oh. And that was their only understanding of of the word Jesus. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, like crosses are are ubiquitous, you know, people wearing crosses. And yeah. so e- even that needs some definition. Uh, and since that's a main, if not the main symbol of, of our faith, 
uh, when you escape that Jesus people and without without a clear answer they're just going to go all over the place um but also what sticks out to me is when my daughter was was four years old my oldest daughter and we asked her who jesus is to her she said he's my friend Mm. and he's that it's he's that simple as well and so um there's there's a huge spectrum there of answers but at the end of the day, for us as followers of Jesus, that's a really good starting place. Yeah, that is a wide spectrum from I didn't even know he was real to um, he's my friend. <laughs> that is a, a wide <laughs> spectrum. And I, and I know that that's a, a polarizing thing, but let's talk about the concept of is he even real? Not do you believe uh, Jesus as far as a religious standpoint or that he's God or any of those types of things, but the historical Jesus uh, that we kind of know of through history uh, there were time periods and and still are in the in the minority that he wasn't actually a real person. But how do we know that Jesus was a real person historically, and and why and what is generally thought of of Jesus as a historical person? Right. I mean, one of the main things, uh, and I see for us, our authority is is the Bible. Uh, but for for even those who whose authority isn't the Bible. Uh, the Bible has proven the test of time as as a book that is authoritative to a certain group of people, if nothing else. And uh, you know, First Corinthians fifteen, it talks about five hundred eyewitnesses. So, uh, you know, Bauckham wrote wrote a book on on the eyewitness accounts, and so you have the eyewitnesses, if nothing else, you have these five hundred eyewitnesses that uh, have testify to Jesus, have written materials about Jesus, and those those books, those letters, those sources, even all the way through, I mean, once you start with the early church fathers, uh, it's just clear evidence all the way through that Jesus was a historical person. And so, it's in scholarship today, it's very rare where you find argument against that, that is actual, like, legit scholarship. Uh, which leads us to the question, then, what, what do we do with that? You know, and, and you have C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Is he mm-hmm. like, what, one of the three else, a liar, lunatic, or Lord? Because if if Jesus is really saying these things about himself, what does that, what does that mean for us? Yeah. yeah, he definitely has some, you know, claims out there. And, and one of those claims is that he was God. And, uh, so either he lied about that to for popularity, for a movement. There were many people in that time that were claiming to be messiahs and still are to this day. Or he was crazy, just out of his mind, a cult leader, if you will, uh, that some accused even his kind of the person who paved the way for him. John the Baptist was kind of considered crazy. And it was Jesus following in that that line. And uh, or was he Lord that he that he said he was? And so so. We break this down as in our faith as God being uh, fully man, but also fully God, that we actually believe he was Lord and is Lord and that his claim of being God is actually true. But it's not just enough that Jesus is fully God. Uh, in our faith, Jesus being fully human is also a uh, a huge tenet of our faith. So why is Jesus being fully human not just historical, as we'll get to later, as he's fully God, but that fully human part of it. Why is that so important to Christianity? Right. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, Anselm in the Middle Ages, I love his work the best on this, uh, his his work, Why God Became Man. Mm. Um, and uh, and there, there are people who were espoused it years before the Middle Ages, but he really brings it together well. And um, he talks about, well, Jesus had to be fully God because he had to be perfect and only God can redeem. But then why did he have to become fully human? Well, that's because he had to be an agent of our flesh that was fallen. So he had to mm. fully take on this fallen nature or this fallen flesh, this nature, this human nature, and live a sinless, perfect life, which only God can do in order to uh, redeem us, in order to um, be, a, be a substitute for us, in order to um, save us. So, uh, and, and those ideas were being formed and developed all like since the early church, because you see all these heresies all, you know, in the first thousand years, uh, a lot of heresies, like, well, does God have two natures? Does he have one nature? Are those yeah. mixed natures? Uh, is it, is maybe it's half and half? Is it full and full? Does he have two different personalities? Like uh, all yeah. these different <laughs> things. Did he just appear to be human? Uh, and, and, or did he just appear to be God? Like just all kinds of different things. And, and the church fathers and, that time period they fought over these things some people they were did. excommunicated from the church i think there's a pretty famous uh legend of uh, saint nicholas uh who we get our modern santa claus from from he actually punched someone in the face over this issue <laughs> over one of the heresies uh that's his contribution to christianity is that he was able to stand up for the mm -hmm. the full humanness of jesus but also fully god and and not being two different people or two different natures so uh, the church did, there wasn't like there wasn't controversy around this in the early church. But why is that controversy actually, how does that even lead us to believe today that we are, you know, as followers of Jesus in the Christian religion, that we actually know that this is something we can hang our hat on as true, even though those controversies show us something? Yeah, yeah. I think the scriptures are, once you once you really get down in and study them, you can just surmise from the scriptures. It's it's pretty clear that God has to be fully, or, or Jesus has to be fully God, fully divine, and fully human. And then as it gets worked out through history, these heresies come in and say, well, what if it's like this? And so these heresies that we look back at today, a lot of them were, were guys like us trying to say, hey, well, what about this? And then that gets kind of like, no. And the deeper they go in it, the maybe an excommunication is needed. Uh, but some of those guys are just, they're just trying to figure out how, they're just trying to figure out how to think about this logically and reasonably. Yeah. And that's where I think the incomprehensibility of God comes in, mm -hmm. uh, which is one of God's main characteristics. And so as, as we go through this series, we have to keep that in mind that yeah. God his essence is incomprehensible. Now, that doesn't mean we can't understand God and things about God because he reveals himself to us. So we don't want to swing the pendulum one way and say, well, God is unknowable because mm. definitely knowable. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God, right? He's He reveals God to us. So he's knowable. Um, but we also want to swing the pendulum the other way and say, well, we know everything about God then. Um, so the incomprehensibility of God really is rooted and grounded by the image of God in us. 
Mm-hmm. And so God has put his image in us. And so although we can't understand everything there is to know about God, there is, there, there is something we can't understand. There are things that have been revealed. But still, we don't want to put God in a box. Yeah. We can't know everything there is. And so some of these heresies are, are these guys trying to say, well, we know everything about God. And then they become heretical. And then, and then some of them are, are on, the, on the other side. And the image of God really centers us. And Jesus mm. being the perfect image of the invisible God really sets the foundation for our faith. You know, I think that's really important. And, and also what you just said is important, too, because that's one of the major reasons God became man was that we might know God. Uh, you know, so in John 1, 1, the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, that we might actually know God. And then the disciples are like, well, how do we know the Father? How do we know God? He says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so here we have these claims of Jesus, but him being fully human allows us to know an incomprehensible God and to see his character on display. And then the image of God in us, you know, through Jesus, we are awakened and aware of that we are made in the image of God and that through that forgiveness that he offers his grace, then we're able to then begin to recognize God in us and what that looks like and that this incomprehensible God knows us at a personal and intimate level. And that's one of the challenges and also the beauty of Christianity is that this most holy God, which a lot of religions have this idea of holiness in God and the separatism of God and man, Taweed, I think it is in in the Muslim faith, this idea of like God is so holy and almost unapproachable. God becoming flesh through Jesus is what makes Christianity unique because it makes God approachable. And not that he's not holy anymore because he's also fully God still. But the fact that he's fully man, he identifies with us and he was perfect and sinless. He identifies with us. All these things allow us to then be known by a most holy God in such an intimate way which is scandalous in some form or fashion because God is so holy, but also beautiful at the same time. And that's why these heresies that entered and why people were trying to figure this out was so important to form these essentials of our faith, because that's the the beauty of the message I think Christianity has to offer the world today is that you can be known by really an unknowable God through Jesus and what he did and, and what, how he lived his life. And so if you look throughout history and today, I mean, look at today, I mean, I think we do still need to seek and try to figure Jesus out. I think part of this podcast is people can ask these questions and try to figure out, you know, what this actually means. So even today, how do you see some of these heresies kind of being repeated, uh, if you will, or these questions are kind of being, we're not necessarily listening to history or learning from history. We're kind of repeating some of these things, but also kind of in new ways. Uh, How do you see this playing out in pop culture and church culture today about trying to figure out Jesus or how does it even the implications of not understanding Jesus being fully God and fully man? Yeah, there's a, there's a unique balance there, right? The, what theologians call the hypostatic union, right? It's this, mm-hmm. I mean, it has a special name. Like we, yeah. <laughs> we there's this balance between his divinity and his humanity and we still swing the pendulum one way or the other. So if we take uh, my daughter Emerson's statement, that he's he's our friend, which Jesus says that. He says to his disciples, I now call you friends, right? And and so there is a friendship there. But if we overemphasize uh, over his humanity and lose sight of his divinity, 
and we can treat Jesus in, in a way that, you know, when, when you and I were growing up, people said, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can treat Jesus in a way where we lose sight of his transcendence and his, and his divinity by overemphasizing the, the eminence of God, that he's with us. Um, and, and that he's rescued us and that he has done something that we couldn't do for ourselves, that he's lived a sinless life, that he's paid the debt, that he has uh, conquered the enemy, like all these things we have in, in Jesus and no person can, could ever do those things on their own. And that's where the, the religious aspect of it comes in, where we depend too much on religion to do those things for us. And Jesus says, well, I've taken care of that. And then... And I think we can also swing the pendulum the other way and just overemphasize his divinity. And um, I think it was, who was it? I wrote a book, The Jesus We Missed. Um, I think it was Henry, Patrick Henry Reardon. Hmm. I'm getting it. Uh, and he says, we missed his, we, we missed it along the way. Um, we missed his humanity. We overemphasize his divinity, his divinity. And Jesus just became this, this distant transcendent figure for us. And especially for us, 2000 years later, that's probably more, uh, a lot more of our tendency too is, is say, Oh, we're so separate from him. And, and so there's that, there's that balance there that we need to make sure um, we try to achieve because uh, going one way or the other leads us to treat Jesus in a totally different way. Yeah. That's good. And so Jesus obviously has a lot of teachings that are famous, even in pop culture. You have, uh, you know, the good, uh, you know, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for that we teach the golden rule. Uh, you have stuff like that. You got the, uh, you know, go one mile, go an extra mile. And people use that for sports a lot, you know, go the extra mile. And there's all these little parables Jesus taught of the good Samaritan. That's a very famous analogy used for a lot of people. Um, do not judge. I mean, definitely pop culture loves that. Don't judge me. Uh, you know, so a lot of these may be misquoting Jesus, but at least they're quoting something of him. Even if they misunderstand it, uh, you have a lot of stuff in pop culture. So people love a lot of the teachings of Jesus, uh, love your enemies. Um, you know, the Lord's prayer, uh, there's just certain things that have kind of transcended even Christianity into all of culture, um, that are, that they love about Jesus. But then you have some teachings of Jesus that are really hard, <laughs> You know, like that are hard that we don't really talk a lot about, you know, that, um, you know, his exclusivity. He he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets the father but through me. People love the love thy neighbor uh, and, you know, don't judge me. But then you have the I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to God but through me yeah. um, claims. So, you know, him being fully God brings a lot of authority. This is God speaking. You know, it's not just a man speaking. And so. This is where we get to that C.S. Lewis kind of thing. Is he liar, lunatic, Lord? And uh, so as followers of Jesus, you know, what do we do with all this? And to a world that doesn't even believe in him, what do they do with this? Like, what is the response to Jesus? Right, right. I definitely think the, the starting place with Jesus is where the Gospel of John starts, and that's with accepting the love of Christ. Mm. Um Cause it gets harder from that. It gets much harder from, you know, just think about the cost of discipleship where, where Jesus says count the costs. Right. And, and yeah. tells the, the rich ruler to go sell everything he has and give it to the poor. I don't know about you, Scott, but I don't know many people who've done that. So, yeah. 
um, but he goes directly to his heart, right? And that's the thing that holds holds his heart. And the guy walks away sad, and Jesus doesn't chase him down. And Jesus says things like, "Like if if uh, you don't hate your father and mother and love me, you can't be my follower." Like, what mm-hmm. what does that mean? What you know? What what do we do with statements like that, where where he's saying, "Hey, it's 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 all or nothing with me. You're either going to follow me, or you're or you're not going to follow me." And we have right now, especially in, uh, I guess, more so in in church culture and Christian culture is, well, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to do the things of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Paul talks about, he he chastises people in, in his letters where he says, you know, Demas, for instance, fell in love with the ways of the world. Like, don't talk to him anymore. <laughs> um, and these other people who poisoned, who poisoned the church. Hymenaeus, Alexander, you know, he's like, stay away from these people. And, and so, you know, when we're talking in the church, I think that's a different conversation than when we're talking outside of the church. Um, both start with the love of Jesus, but for those in the church, it's really, hey, if you're not, if you're not all in, then you might be, then you might be all out and not even realize it. You might be caught up in the religious traditions of it. Uh, you might be caught up in just going through through the motions. For those outside the faith, um, I think that's where the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. I mean, you have to get over. You, you have to. That that's your next step, right? Because if yeah. you're in the church, you pretty much accept those things, you know. But if you're outside the church, you're like, wow, okay, Jesus said he was God. Like, how do I, how do I accept that? Um, and and you might start with the love of Jesus, which you should, but then you immediately you're going to get to well, he 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 claims to be God. So what do you do with that? Um, and that's why I love Anselm too. Uh, he he also says uh, something to the effect of I'm probably going to butcher it, but something to the effect of uh, I I don't seek to understand in order to believe. He says I believe in order to understand. And that's where faith, that's where faith comes in. It, it has to start with, okay, I'm, I'm going to start like, what could go wrong? Maybe I'll, I'll try believing this and, and, and then I'll, I'll start to understand. And when you pair that with the incomprehensibility of God, with the word, with the Holy Spirit, I think that's where you get a recipe for really finding out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Now, that's good. And I think that's where we're all left with is. We have to decide for ourselves, you know, what do we really believe about Jesus? Um, he was historical. That's without a doubt. Um, you know, you won't find any serious scholarship that doesn't believe Jesus was a real person. So he was real, despite maybe a YouTube conspiracy theory you see out there. But he was a real person. That's settled for, you know, 99% of humanity and scholarship out there at this point. So then we get to, well, this is what he... The Christian Bible records that he says, and you can choose to reject that or not, but you have to decide what to do with Jesus at that point. Um, most people don't argue that he didn't say love thy neighbor or that he wasn't a good teacher or a good philosopher or a good person. Um, but we have to decide what to do with that, Christian and non-Christian alike. And I think you said it good for the non-Christian you have to decide, is he, you know, was Jesus not just a real person, but was he this guy that was he who he claimed to be? And if he was, what am I going to do with that? And you got to decide what to do with that. You know, like, am I going to uh, reject 
his claims and just take some of them and just he's a good philosopher add him to the books of philosophy that i follow or do i take him at his word and he said these things now what do i do if he is really god and how to, those who are christians and who claim to follow jesus we have to also decide you know am i following everything that he taught am i living this this out like am i living this life am i all in devoted to Jesus, because if he is truly God, that is authority in my life, that is God revealing himself to me, I need to follow his teachings, I need to be surrendered, submit, all those things to him as Lord as well, and not just pick and choose and try to justify my sin or try to justify these things. I think those responses are are, are the challenging part of this question, who is Jesus? Because there is always a response to questions uh, when we ask these things. And when we ask that, who is Jesus, and him being fully God, fully man, but yet exclusive, that he's the only God, and the only way to get to God is through what he did on the cross, we have to decide what to do with that, but not just a one-time decision, but now the rest of our lives. And so for those who are Christians, this idea of faith essentials in a world today where a lot of people have church hurt, they have church trauma, uh, they may like the idea of Jesus, but they don't like the church because the church is caught up in abuse scandals or money scandals or you know, pastors sleeping around, celebrities, all these sorts of things that seem very disconnected from the Jesus of the Bible. You know, as a follower of Jesus to the Christians, what would you say the response still is today to this question, who is Jesus? And why is it so important at the crossroads we find ourselves as a Western culture right now uh, with the way people view the church? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And and it's a it's a historical one. Uh, Phyllis Tickle wrote a book called The Great Emergence, and uh, in that book, she talks about this, um, and we're at the crossroads right now. So if you look back throughout church history, so think about beginning after Christ's death, uh, every 500 years, there's a major church renewal, church event, church transition, uh, where the people, and when I say church, this is going to affect the institution, the organization that really we're talking about the people of God here, you know, and the, the people who make up the church, we are the church. Right. And so at, at, at 500 years and think about this, it's only 500 years post Jesus walking on this earth, post ascension, right. Uh, you have the monastic movement and the goal of that movement was to reclaim and revitalize and revive and and just go back to the foundation and the roots of christianity of and i should say i shouldn't say christianity i should just say being followers of jesus right mm-hmm. because i think the religious aspect of christianity kind of muddled it a bit so they just wanted to get pure again uh let's let's go do this so they they um they did that they revived the church. They they brought a they brought back social justice. They brought back caring for the poor and the oppressed. They they brought back um, uh, the study of scripture, like for hours and hours and, and yeah. prayers, hours and hours, and the simplicity of the faith they brought back. And so, and we talk about celebrity culture now, right? They 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 really stripped it down. Uh, and then five hundred years after that, you have the Great Schism. And we won't go into the details of that, but same similar thing. And 500 years after that, you have the Reformation. And again, same same thing. That one's a little bit more, more publicized. People will know that a little bit more. Um, but after the Reformation, the church really splintered a lot. 
right? And that's where that's where we are today. We're in this we're in this splintered church where uh, there's so many different denominations, there's so many different sects and 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 faith traditions, and and uh, and now we're at another 500 year marker. So what was it? 2017 was it where we celebrate the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation? So yeah. So we're in that next 500 year crossroads of the church, that transition. And, and so what, what you said, that word crossroads, that, that the church is feeling, you got people who are deconstructing their faith. You got people leaving the church in droves, you know, you got Gen Z millennials and then the generation after Gen Z, I can't remember what that's called. That is Gen Gen Alpha right now. Oh, Gen Alpha. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and you got the technological natives, right? They're they're all growing up in this technological age, and we're trying to figure out what church looks like in this next next generation. What do we as the people of God look like as we engage culture? What does the institution look like? If you look at all those transitions, the institution changed throughout all those transitions. And the people of God came together through all those transitions. Like the, the church came together and galvanized and, and went through some persecution as well. Uh, but it galvanized and it catalyzed the movement of Jesus. And so we're at that time right now. And so I would say to those who are deconstructing or trying to figure out their faith, you're trying to figure out what do we do in this culture? Um, I'd say press into that galvanization. Like mm-hmm. if, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, do not forsake the church right now. Um, now, the institution may look different for you. The organization of that may look different for you um, than, than what is deemed traditional right now. Uh, but do not forsake the people of God because the, the time of galvanizing is coming. And I think the remnant will be shown and then it will lead to revival and restoration as it's done in the previous three 500 year periods of the church. Yeah, you know, that's really fascinating, too, that you bring this up, because if you also look at the context of each one of those 500-year movements, if you will, the one th- common thread that, I've, that I see throughout history that almost catapulted the church into this Reformation, this revival, was, if you look at all those different ones, the one common thing was the politicization of the church. Yeah. Uh, they're identifying too much with the kingdoms of the world, the the Roman Empire, uh, Constantine, you just keep going down the list, the Catholic Church uh, with the Reformation and where it was aligned at that point. If you look at our current context, a lot of people want to take Jesus in the church, and it could be progressive or it could be fundamentalist, could be conservative, it could be liberal, that you're trying to then identify the church with those political movements. And I think that's why this topic of who is Jesus is so important, because all those 500-year movements that revitalized the church and brought life, they centered in on the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, who he really was and what he really taught in the movement that he really started uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what then transcended that. And you saw parts of that. You saw social justice. You saw uh, oppressed people set free. You saw these movements happen out of that that had nothing to do with necessarily aligning yourself with a certain movement, but aligning yourself with the historical Jesus and his and his historical teachings. Right. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, and and Jesus himself, I mean, all you have to do is read the gospels. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you have to do <laughs> to see how apolitical he was. Yeah. How just non-political he was. 
and uh and and yet the church is still falling into the same trap today yeah now that doesn't mean that i don't think that the teachings of jesus don't transform some of those institutions organizations right. societies kingdoms right. political systems i think that's part of captives being set free oppressed people being set free is that systems in society are actually changed uh but it was how those things were transformed that was so unique about Jesus and his teachings. And so as followers of Jesus and as those who aren't following Jesus, but want to see, you know, his teachings lived out, those types of things. And uh, wants to see the world changed. I think we have to center on who Jesus really is, who he was and who he wants to be in our lives today. And I think those are the three ways we look at who he, who he was as a historical person, uh, what he claimed to be his divinity fully god but also fully human why that's important and then what our response is to that and that that answer to that question is what will lead to i think a revival in the american eastern uh, western church european church uh but also would uh definitely lead to societal transformation as well and so um any final thoughts on this topic of faith essentials episode two just one just uh if we could just get back to the simple aspects of living out the faith. If we just do those things. I think that's what would set us on the right path to transform society. So many, so many of us are concerned about, about other things, the, the bigger things even, which is, which is good. But if we're not in the word every day, if we're not spending time with Jesus every day, if we don't recognize his presence with us, wherever we go, because his spirit dwells in us, if we don't, eat and drink to to the glory of God or do that in whatever we do, then we'll never transform those big things. We just got to focus on living out in our daily lives, the simple teachings of Jesus. And that's going to transform society like it's always done. Yeah, that's great. Well, I appreciate you so much, Mike, for being a guest here today on our Faith Essentials podcast. And uh, really appreciate you uh, giving us your insight today. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right, we'll see you guys next time on episode three coming up soon. Bye.